just a heads up, we're at about 50 minutes right now. Okay, cool. I'll try and make the last section shorter. Yeah. And I'm going to need at least 20 to explain Geno time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, producer for the most anticipated new game show, I Just Wanna Shop, hosted by the legendary Gino Vanelli, and theme song <laughs> sung by, obviously. It's uh, basically a cross between Supermarket Sweep, Soul Train, and American Gladiators. It's going to be great. Whoa, what a show. I hope that's, that's really, what I'm saying. I want that to really happen. <laughs> My brain's trying to mesh it all together and nothing is like really taking shape. Yeah, all you know is that it can't lose, right? True. <laughs> well, I'm co-host Jeremy and I have been hired in to Kevin Garnett's squad. He calls me Gino. And he, he tells me, play Geno Time, and then I have to pull out my phone and play the Geno Time video. I'll explain that later. I, I was, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I hope that you're going to explain this. I mean, you know, I, we obviously don't often explain our fake titles at the beginning, but that one might need some explaining. Should I just go into it now? No, no, let's save no, that No, let's one. save it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Well, I am co-host Peter Cook, and the list of people that I belong to is quite long, but it would include <laughs> my wife, Ellen, as well as my beloved co-host, Jeremy and Sean, and you, dear listeners. Aww. <laughs> well, I'm glad you all feel so comfortable in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're very casual here today. <laughs> Who am I in front of again? My name is Skip Heller, and I'm a musician and a record producer of Bottom Feeding out here in the Great Satan itself, Hollywood, California. Wow. Wow. Welcome to the show, Skip. You were name-dropped on a recent episode, the Mrs. Miller April Fool's Day episode that we did. I found some research you had done on Mrs. Miller previously and added that to the episode. Oh, I, I'm flattered. I really, I, I was glad I got to do that. I, I don't feel like, uh, I don't feel like she's ever been put in her proper context. You know what I mean? True. Well, we're out here doing our part to try and fix that among many other <laughs> reputations in the music history. <laughs> well, uh, I'm just, I'm really, that research has to, I think I did that in 1998 or something, so... I'm really flattered that it still means anything to anybody. Yeah, it's still out there. But we're not talking about Mrs. Miller today. What record have you selected for our discussion this week? I've selected uh, a record that is, and it is in so many dollar boxes, and I'm glad people can buy it for a dollar because it, it really holds up well, and that's Brother to Brother by Gino Vanelli, and it was his most popular record. It was like the biggest thing he had. 
uh, I was going to say up to that point, but he never got near that success again. And I think it's from 1978, and it was uh, released on the A&M label, which is just literally uh, was headquartered about five blocks from where I'm sitting right now, from my apartment. You could still nice. hear the sounds of Gino resonating around. <laughs> <laughs> Filling up the landscape. Actually, the, the thing that I, I remember the most about that building was it's now the Jim Henson Company headquarters. Uh, they they bought it from A&M, and A&M bought it. It was the Charlie Chaplin Studios complex. And apparently when the Henson Company bought the place, and this is like in the early 2000s, because it was just, I, I remember this because I had just gotten off the road. I had been playing guitar with the band NRBQ on, on some dates. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I, was, I was knocking off from practicing, and I turn on the TV, and it was the most surreal scene ever. I'm seeing the uh, Hollywood Boulevard, and there's all these Elmos, you know, like uh, guys dressed up like Elmo, out in front of Grauman's Chinese Theater, where they all these people dress up and play characters, and you know, you, you the tourists take your picture and they tip you, and you know, there's a Charlie Chaplin and a Marilyn Monroe, and um, a Superman, and he smoked and died of lung cancer shortly before COVID, because that's how Hollywood is. But there were like six of these Elmos, zip tied, handcuffed together, being led into a paddy wagon. While all these children were screaming, like, oh, they're killing Elmo! And God. it was like, I'm telling you, all these kids are going to be describing this to psychiatrists for years to come. And what had happened was somebody who worked for the Henson Company uh, was driving up Hollywood Boulevard on his way to, you know, to the new Henson building and saw all of these unlicensed Elmos, which are basically people who either stole or rented an Elmo costume and they would basically take their pictures with all these kids and whatever. And this executive was not having any of it. So he called the police to come out and they arrested a half dozen bootleg Elmos. <laughs> so yes, that building is Chaplin. That building is Herb Alpert. That river deep mountain high was cut there. And I think of Elmo in handcuffs every time I walk by it. <laughs> A true legacy. I love that. <laughs> Show right. business is my life, kids. <laughs> well, with all of that for an intro, let's go ahead and dig into our first track from this album. Uh, and let's start with what is probably my favorite song on this record. Side A, track two, The River Must Flow. Oh yeah, this is a good one.
man, what a ripper! I oh, <laughs> I, there's a. It's funny because there's some some ingredients there too that that caught my attention. I feel like there's a little uh, homage allusion to uh, America. I need you. The the song the band America and the song I need you. Like the flowers need the rain. What do they say? What does he say in there? I need you, like the jasmine. Yeah, like the jasmine needs the rain. He says that. Yeah, and then it's definitely a little. This is seventy-eight. You said. Yeah, I can't believe I'm not. I'm not sitting here with the lyric sheet or anything. I still remember all the words to this record, <laughs> which I had at the time of its release on eight track. Nice. Oh, perfect format. <laughs> For what we don't know, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, still waiting to figure. Now, that you out. know, you know what I hear a lot of though in that production. Uh, about a year before, maybe two years before. No, it was nineteen seventy-seven. There was a Sergio Mendez album on Electra that had a few cuts produced by Stevie Wonder. It's that one. It's just self-titled Sergio Mendez in Brazil seventy-seven. It's the one where they're all wearing soccer uniforms on the front. And if you look mm-hmm. closely, you Pele is one of the people on the cover, and um, that that cut really has that that Stevie Wonder kind of production style, and the way the background vocals are set up is very much like what Sergio Mendes had on that album. There was a sort of semi hit from that record called uh, "The Real Thing," and it had that kind of like funky bass popping on top of me- medium tempo you know, sort of Americanized MPB, you know, Brazilian popular music, with those kind of background vocals. And I would be really shocked to find out that Gino and Giovanelli, his brother, who's the producer and kind of the music director, weren't hip to that record. Because it, it, it was a great record, and it was like the biggest splash Sergio Mendes had made since the late 60s. So I think that's in there somewhere. And also, Herb Alpert and Sergio Mendes were like, terrific beautiful friends and herb alpert took a great personal interest in gino vanelli in his career uh, produced the first album even so and uh gino toured with stevie wonder at one point too so yeah by the way gino was the first white person to sing on soul train right not the first white act to appear that's dennis coffee scorpio but he was the first white white vocalist to uh to appear on soul train so nice way to tie that into the intros guys <laughs> so but the the other thing that i hear a lot in this record is obviously like stevie wonder is you know he is the the paragon of a, a certain type of popular music and a lot of gino stuff has that steviness to it you know obviously he and he and his brother Joe were checking out Stevie closely. And I think Weather Report, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Peter and I were discussing yesterday, like, what are what are some of the influences going on here? Peter, you mentioned maybe some Earth, Wind, and Fire and Frank Zappa in the mix as well. Yeah, there's some other cuts. When we get to the title track, Brother to Brother, I hear some major Zappa in there. Well, the, the other thing that I really hear is... Um, because, like, at this period, Weather Report have Jaco Pastorius, and I just, I would be shocked to, to find out that Joe Vanelli was not a big fan of Joe Zavano. Because, you know, he just, some of those keyboard solos that he takes throughout the records are really good jazz solos. So, this record 
has a real bass player on several cuts and Gino's records largely have um, a keyboard bass thing like Stevie had but on this record they hired a, a fusion shredding bass player named Jimmy Haslip who I think they said you shall be our Jocko and on brother to brother he gets a huge bass showcase that if you're a Zappa fan might remind you of the ocean is the ultimate solution now that I think of it mm. off of uh I think that was on sleep dirt that sounds right yeah I, yeah yeah I get those three albums kind of confused yeah well it's it's easy to confuse when there's like 70 plus 150 however many albums he has <laughs> believe me uh I I could I could write a small book on my relationship to the music of Frank Zappa. And I live right around the corner from one of the studios where Apostrophe was recorded. So, like, Oh, nice. Every, every time I walk past it, and it's still there, it's called Paramount, I'm going, oh my God, this is where Frank met Johnny Guitar Watson. Oh, wow. You know, just think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. Yeah. But uh, the other thing, too, about the tune Brother to Brother is when I saw Gino live... In the middle of the show, they had this DJ. I forget who it was. I think I've blocked him out because he was such a complete idiot. Like doing a Q&A with Gino for like 10 minutes in the middle of the show. Like why they stopped the show in the middle for this joker. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I've, like, I've seen scenarios like that before. I saw Frank Black do an acoustic show once that was hosted by a radio show. And in, in the middle of it, they stopped to do an interview in the... DJ was a total jackass and it killed the flow of everything. <laughs> Must have been the same guy. It would not surprise me because how many people could be this stupid, tactless, and ill-placed? Oh, sorry, Hollywood. So <laughs> the guy goes like, so Gino, what brother to brother, what's all that about? And, you know... Like, Jesus, man, what are you, Cliff Clavin? It was like the just dumbest question ever. And Gino, you could just tell he's the most gracious person, you know, when he's when he's answering a question. Said Gino is actually Canadian. Yeah. And he grew up in Canada. And during the time of civil rights, there was all the, the, the news from south of their border had so much to do with like race relations and so forth and canada canadians were just mystified by this it's like no you got to really take it from the country who's looking over at you man you got to get it together as a people brother to brother and that's where that song came from and as with a lot of songs on this record, I, I don't want to say I was dismissive, but this record came into my life when I was maybe 13 years old. So I had a much more nuanced view of Sheena as a punk rocker in Rockaway Beach than I had of these sort of, these Gino Vanelli songs. Yeah, yeah, the, the Ramones were more your mindset at the time. <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, uh, chewing out the rhythm on my bubble gum, sun is out, I want some. That's great, but anything with a big metaphor, I was not going to be hanging with too easily. <laughs> but as I've gone back and listened to this album over time, I mean, yeah, a lot of the lyrics are not... I, I mean, nobody's ever going to mistake Gino Vanelli for Roger Miller or Bob Dylan 
in terms of being a guy who just really gets the words absolutely perfect. But especially with the summer of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, this song like came back to my head and I'm, I'm actually shocked by how little credit I gave it as something other than a big, big giant production. Because now I like listen to it, I go like, man, this is actually a young person going, your country is really big, and if you kill each other off, it's going to be a mess for the whole world. And listening to it now, like I'm like, wow, that's actually all right. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, granted, it's it's not as uh, it's not as pointed a. Uh, an inspection of race relations is something like Rednecks by Randy Newman mm -hmm. or Your Flag Decal Won't Get You Into Heaven Anymore by John Prine. Yes. But it wears its heart on its sleeve and it's got a terrific and beautiful heart. And the like Frank Zappa would would probably have heard this and said, Ah, these guys have checked me out and they've they've read my intention correctly. Well, I think should we feature that song next? Why not? Was that the plan, Sean? Sounds good to me. I was going to ask Jeremy and Peter, though, what is your history with this record before we play another cut? I just want to stop and tell you that that's all I knew about Gina Vanelli before. <laughs> I knew that song. I just want to stop, which we're going to eventually get to as well, I'm sure. The big hit. Mm -hmm. uh, how about you, Jeremy? I only knew about Gino time. I didn't even know about Gino Vanelli before this. <laughs> and this is where I, I mentioned Gino time now, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you yeah, wanna... Or we could just keep hinting and you could tell at the very end of the episode, what do you want to do? Oh, yeah, let's drag it out more. <laughs> I didn't know anything about Gino Vanelli, the artist, until I listened to it. And I feel like I'm still processing it. I don't know what to think yet. There's elements I really like. Like, there's some really good textural stuff. He, his vocals remind me a little of Kenny Rankin, who we covered previously. Mm -hmm. That, like, really? soft, powerful kind of thing. But then there's also, like, proggy things that I tend not to like. And, um, but then it's, like, a little jazzy, too, which I do like. There's just, like, a lot. I feel like I, I need to sort through my feelings still yeah. on this. It's, <laughs> man, you, you. You're haggling with this exactly the same way I have from the moment I heard it. <laughs> okay. So it doesn't go away. No, this I mean, a... <laughs> no, because at the same time I'm listening to this, I'm listening to the Ramones, and I'm listening to Stevie Wonder and the Commodores, Man. and I have never liked anything proggy. Like, I, I, don't, I don't prog happily. And, uh, but this record, like, when I, vocally I always think, like, Tom Jones, and then all of a sudden he'll go into this full Frankie Valley falsetto, whether or not he should. <laughs> and everything is so, because his voice is so big, the production is so intense and textured and over the top. And now that I, pre I used to go like, oh, I, 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 yeah, I don't know how to take this. And then I produced a few records. I understand that proportionality means something and this guy could just if you tried to record him with like a piano bass drums jazz trio he would just blow it away he would be too big for the room 
You know, it would be like the David Lee Roth ukulele record or something. It's just, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I'm not putting down David Lee Roth. I love David Lee Roth, but I'm saying some people have a personality that's too intense for anything small. Yeah. And and some people's personality isn't big enough to fill those shoes. Right, Sammy Hagar? Oh. <laughs> I, you know, I, I didn't have to say it on the air but yeah um but but the other thing i get is that gino vanelli and joe vanelli were very ambitious so they wanted to have some prog stuff in there you know the shreddy aldemiola guitar player was in there and i hate shreddy aldemiola guitar players <laughs> but they make it work on this record though honestly i was gonna say on this record though they really and the guy was really really good i forget who it was now carlos but, oh, carlos rio Carlos Rio. He's got that kind of thing that Bruce Conti from Tower of Power has, where it's like a lot of tone and he'll get up in it, but he knows how to not get in the way of the groove. Right. And and the other thing is, like, frankly, the whole record is so keyboard driven that when you get something like the background vocalists or a saxophone solo or a guitar solo taking the really the forefront of the tune, it actually breaks it up nicely. And because everything is so over the top, you need a guitar player who can really play a lot of notes per second. Yeah, this, this record doesn't need a subtle guitarist. This is he's exactly the right guy for it. And I I would I definitely agree with something that was said earlier. Uh, this record is a lot easier to enjoy when you stop worrying about whether the choices should be made and just enjoy it for what it is. Every weird <laughs> choice that Gino and company decided to make, just go for it. Just let it happen. Well, you know what I always compare Gino Vanelli's first six records to is Wedding Cake. Wedding Cake is not subtle. And it's probably not even really nourishing. But when the occasion calls for a wedding cake, anything else is going to be a disappointment. <laughs> Perfect. That, well, on that note, yes. let's let's play the title track from Gino Vanelli, The Wedding Cake of Music. Brother, <laughs> this is brother to brother, side B, track one. Brother 
were the, as discussed, intense falsetto movements. The the heavy oh. Frankie Valley influence. And wearing his heart on his sleeve. That he can still hit. I saw him live about six or seven years ago at the Saban Theater in uh, Beverly Hills. And that's usually where, you know, like Petula Clark would play there. Burt Backrack plays there, you know. And it's a beautiful theater with great sound. And it was not my first Gino Vanelli concert because I saw him on the Brother to Brother tour at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. And if you've ever been to the Spectrum in Philadelphia, it, the, the sound is just terrible. But he had good sound. I think that he really put a lot of money into making sure that he had a good show back then and just does now. And, man, he was doing everything in the original key with as much intensity. He was playing that gig like his record deal depended on it you know, a million years after this record came out. Yeah. And just blew the room away. You know, there, there are just certain singers that all they have to do is walk out there and just do that thing that made them famous in the first place, and the top comes off the room. Billy Idol is like that. Yeah. A friend of mine is in the band Los Lobos, and Billy Idol jumped on stage with him one night to do Born to be Wild. And he said, we were doing good. We knew we were going to get an encore. We didn't know we'd have to follow Billy Idol blowing us away while we backed him. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that Gino could pretty much, I, like, however many decades it was after the hits, he walked out there, the band was better than it was, it was more horns, less keyboards, he was singing everything in the original key, and he still meant every word of it. When he sang Brother to Brother... He was still channeling it from that place, and I was so damn impressed. That's amazing. I, I still look at that concert. Well, the funny thing is, like, you look at that album cover and you go, like, Gino Vanelli looks like a Harlequin romance writer's idea of a 70s rock star. He has the hairiest chest, the biggest hair, the open shirt, the tightest pants, and it's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, and he's named Gino Vanelli. <laughs> yeah yeah so the that all-important italian canadian demographic is well represented <laughs> and you, you just look at him you go like yep that's the that's the time period cliche it's like when you see a picture of duran duran in 1982 and you go yeah they're wearing those little hats and a lot of a lot of makeup and okay yeah that's an 80s band but you listen to like Duran Duran records since then, and they haven't exactly humiliated their own legacy. They've they've managed to stay real good, especially as a rhythm section. And Gino Vanelli, same thing. It's like, man, he can walk out there and sing better than just about anybody you can name. And yeah, he's still he's still hairy. <laughs> uh, there was. <laughs> good to know <laughs> yeah no there's there was an episode of uh, sctv with eugene levy as gino vanelli which think about that for a oh second. wow <laughs> but, but every time every time the camera angle would move he'd be a little hairier <laughs> <laughs> we get cut back and a little more hair grown <laughs> yeah exactly but the other side of it is man like listen to that vocal on brother to brother he's just you you can't He's so strong, and he still sounds like that. Yeah, it's like whether you enjoy what he's doing or not, you got to respect it. It's just so powerful. Yeah, and as I said, yeah, it's over the top. 
it's everything that you know we as artists are supposed to be a little more circumspect and you know like you know you who do we look at and go no there is somebody who personifies art like i don't know bill evans or somebody like that you know somebody who does not go over the top stan ridgeway bill monroe you know just guys who really go i will just deliver the art and here's this guy with just so much hair that he will never ever be able to wear a hat and he's just absolutely belting it out like tom jones over top of like these over amped sort of stevie wonder on steroids fusion beats and f me is it if he isn't getting it over every song every time <laughs> it's like you talk about a guy who stays in his lane because he owns it he i i can't gush enough because as i said i just i i really every so often i pull this record out and i've bought it when it came out i saw him on this tour and uh a friend of mine who i didn't know was at the same concert as me told me on instagram oh you know i saw him i was like how do you remember that concert and it we totally described it the same way, which is sort of rare when you're describing something that happened 40, 45 years ago. I, I'm yeah. too old to want to know how many years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't need to do that math. <laughs> Please. Um, let's, uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump in here and give everyone some bio on the great Gino Vanelli. Tell us uh, how he got so hairy. Yeah, <laughs> the full story of all that hair. Well, our story begins... On the day he was born, June 16th, 1952, and oh, before man. Peter interrupts me, that is <laughs> the same birthday as Tupac. <laughs> oh my God, he still interrupted me. Wow. <laughs> you can't stop Nin me there. 19 years earlier to the day, Gino Vanelli, born to an Italian family living in Montreal, Quebec. His parents were both great lovers of music, and his father was a cabaret singer of some note. At an early age, Gino fell in love with the drums. His first influences were Gene Krupa, Buddy Rich, and Elvin Jones. Wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, the first two being very not subtle musicians as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because everybody looks at Elvin Jones and says, like, wow, the drums aren't loud enough on this record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's an enormous picture of Elvin Jones right around the corner in front of Hollywood Pro Drum. And I swear, even the picture is loud. <laughs> <laughs> For five years, Gino studied drums and music theory at McGill University in Montreal. And then at age 11, he auditioned to be the drummer in a local band called the Cobras. The audition involved playing the song Wipeout by the Ventures. And previous to this audition, Gino had never heard this song before, so he signed up for the last slot in the audition lineups just so that he could hear everyone else play the song and learn it by watching the contestants. And then after he applied, he won the whole thing and became the drummer in the Cobras, playing a song he had previously never performed, which is quite impressive for any age, especially at age 11. <laughs> <laughs> So then just a year later, Gino and his brother Joe are leading a Motown-influenced group called the Jacksonville Five, which was actually a full five years before the Jackson Five released their, full al their first album. At age 14, Gino took over lead vocals in the group after the singer couldn't pull off doing a cover of Tom Jones's It's Not Unusual. <laughs> Once again, this is making sense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you could perfectly pull off Tom Jones at age 14 and just never stopped channeling a little bit of that. 
So all this time, Gina was also continuing to study music and is taking lessons for guitar and piano, as well as music composition. In addition, he's developed a very wide knowledge and interest in musical styles. He often found himself feeling conflicted by his love of contrasting genres like rock, classical, pop, jazz, and show tunes. He has said that he was equally inspired by groups like the Rolling Stones and Dave Brubeck and Maurice Ravel. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's a, a wide swath right there. <laughs> exactly. And the more you listen to this record and also the records leading up to it, it really makes sense. This is not a guy who just liked one thing. He liked a lot of stuff and he didn't want to be limited to just one influence or genre. So then age 16, he is signed to RCA of Canada and releases his first single called Gina Bold under the pseudonym Van Eli. That's in 1970. And unfortunately the single goes nowhere and he's dropped from the record. Yeah, it's not very good. I mean, it's, it's all right, but yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like a lost hit or anything. (laughs) Yeah. So despite being dropped from being signed to a major label at a young age, he still feels emboldened by this brief foray into the music business. And Gino and his brother Joe moved to New York city together in order to make it big. And then after about three years of doing everything they can to break into the music business, they're left unsuccessful and completely broke. They are kind of, this is their last ditch effort before having to give up and move back to Montreal. And Gino decides to make this desperate attempt and camps out in front of the A&M Studios recording building. And after about three hours of waiting, he spots label owner Herb Alpert, rushes past a security guard who's trying to tackle him, and quickly pleads with Herb to just give him one chance. And for some reason, Herb sees this very hairy, crazy person and agrees to actually <laughs> give him an audition in half an hour. Not come dressed back in like half Elmo. An hour. Yeah. <laughs> So Gino had brought his acoustic, plays him a handful of songs that he'd written on his acoustic guitar, and Herb just signs him right there, on the spot that day. And actually, the majority of the songs that he auditioned with ended up on his next few albums for A&M. Yeah. Wow. Which I uh, cut in here and say, all of those records appear in dollar bins pretty regularly, and they're all good. Uh, you know, like, they're all... <sighs> I don't I don't know why he's not collected, but use that to your advantage, because after yeah. <laughs> this podcast drops... <laughs> exactly. Once the I'd buy that bump is officially underway, never be able to find these Geno records anymore. <laughs> it, it's going to take a few years, though, to clear out all the, the backlog and the dollar bins, so you got a minute, but... <laughs> yeah. <on> it. <laughs> so... Each of Gino's first five albums all reached the Billboard Top 100. He was regularly selling out venues and stadiums across the U.S. and Canada. He earned a handful of Grammy nominations and even a few more Juno Awards in Canada. And as we said, he was one of the first white artists to ever appear on Soul Train, uh, which I believe was a result of the connections he made opening for Stevie Wonder on tour, as we stated in the intro. And the thing that's kind of remarkable about all this success that he was accruing is that he did it without any real major hit singles. In fact, Gino regarded himself as an album artist and wanted his albums to reflect his broad taste in music, as we had said. And this path had made him a favorite with critics. As we said, he's an award-winning artist and gave him a very devoted fan base. 
Which brings us to 1978. Gino's beginning work on his sixth album, Brother to Brother. He's now joined by both of his brothers, Ross and Joe. Uh, Ross had joined the band on their third record, doing some vocals, and Joe has been with them the whole time. So both his brothers are urging him to pursue trying to get a big hit single on this record. Gino was initially kind of hesitant as he was really worried that a big hit might put too much pressure on his career and ruin his creative freedom with people just expecting him to churn out the same hit single over and over again after that. However, his brother Ross is just starting to write some songs for the group. He hasn't done any credited songwriting before this, and he has this new song that Gino just loves called I Just Want to Stop. Yeah, apparently all he had, too, was just the chorus. Yeah, just like some of the basics of it. He came up to them and said, like, this is what I got. I just want to stop. And... And Joe and Gino were like, develop that. That's, yeah, that's, that's a, a hit. hit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it was. was. <laughs> yeah, the, the song hit number four on the Billboard Hot 100, and the album hit number 13 on the U.S. charts. And then both the album and the single also did very well on the Soul and Adult Contemporary charts and the Canadian charts. So this was a this was a hit all over the place for many different audiences. I just want to stop you, Sean, and ask if we should listen to that song now. That is exactly where I was going with it. This is side A, track three. I just want to stop. The hit from the album. That song, it seems to like jump out at me at different times in my life. And the first time I ever went to Montreal, uh, I was playing guitar for Ema Sumac, the great Peruvian singer. And we were playing at the Montreal Jazz Festival, and we 
finally got to the hotel at like three o'clock in the morning and I hadn't eaten anything. And the only thing that was open near the hotel was uh, a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> so uh, I'm walking around Montreal at midnight and I'm just, you know, like, or well after midnight, I got like three donuts to bring back and some chocolate milk. And I realized, like, I'm in Montreal, so I start singing, When I think about those nights in Montreal. And I hear this voice behind me, I get the saddest thoughts. (laughs) 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 And it was a homeless guy. (laughs) And I gave him, like, $2. And he looks at me and goes, you ain't the first person to sing that song at three o'clock in the morning in these Montreal streets. <laughs> Gino's still got love in the streets out there in Montreal. It's good to yeah, know. The, the, the whole, you know, and I mean, it was like weird enough that the first time I go to Canada, I'm going with Ema Sumac of all yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to, you know, gloss over that detail. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> also covered it, on the podcast. Yeah, formerly featured on the podcast, Ima Sumac. Really? Which album? Voice, Voice of Hatabe? However it's pronounced. Voice of the Extra Bay. That was <laughs> produced produced by my old friend Les Baxter. Anyway though, so get back to the hotel. Get back and I'm like looking at the lights of Montreal and I'm just like I have had my moment of spiritual satori. With Gino Vanelli. It's <laughs> beautiful. And then the only time after that that I really had a Gino moment was I was on the road with NRBQ. Their guitar player didn't want to travel after 9 11, so I got the call. <laughs> okay, yeah, great. You know, I just have to be home in time for my wedding. Believe it or not, the tour ended the night before I was due to get married. And after 9 wow. 11, we weren't sure. Yeah. So any, anyway, I get to Louisville where I'm meeting the band and Tom Artelino, the drummer in the group, who was, he's no longer with us, but he mm-hmm. was the most wonderful person you ever met. He, I had to fly a red eye. He knocks on my door. He goes, oh, good, you got here. Uh, he goes, are you flying the doldrums of your dreary dreams? And I said, did you just make a reference to Mardi Gras by Gino Vanelli? Because, you know, Gino's not exactly fashionable with, a certain crowd of people. He goes, he goes, you're into Chino? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, a, lot of, a lot of people at best are agnostic about the Chino. And then <laughs> after that, like me and every time Tom and I would talk, we would just, Gino would get into it. And then when I saw Gino live a few years ago, as I mentioned, he was just wonderful. What tune did he open with? He opened with Mardi Gras. So, like, the, literally, the first words out of his mouth were, I wrote the doldrums of my dreary dreams. And I was just like, oh, Tom, I wish you were alive right now, just so I could call you up and tell you. Yeah. Gino is on to us. He spoke to us. <laughs> He's on the way. <laughs> and, I got, and I got to meet him that night. I, I sent Sean the picture of me and Gino together. And one of the saddest things that ever was just that I didn't get to send that picture to Tom. Because you have these weird connections with the music in your life. Mm -hmm. Obviously, people like us have intense weird connections to the music in our life. And, yeah, I Just Want to Stop makes me think about this 
this old girlfriend of mine who I just, you know, adored, as it should. And uh, Mardi Gras always makes me think of Tom. And, and also, every time I hear this record, I'm returned to being 13 years old and not being able to figure out three quarters of the chords to these songs because they're really sophisticated objects. Yeah, like, they, they're not using any basic chords on this record. No, de definitely. Like, they were looking over at Steely Dan's Asia and saying, we've got to beat that. And the problem is, they beat that about the same way that uh, His Satanic Majesty's Request beat Sgt. Pepper, if you know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> it's like, uh, you, you missed by a few inches there, but interesting yeah, yeah okay. you still have something <laughs> yeah yeah you it's it's not you you, you didn't totally mess the bed up but there ain't one penny laying on here so you know but i gotta say like yeah I, i'm sort of making light about it but i will put up the best moments of brother to brother up against anything of the period up against the best stuff on still crazy after all these years or songs in the key of life or now those records are more consistently great all the way through but the, the best moments on brother to brother really make a great argument for gino vanelli is like one of the more interesting recording artists of the 70s yeah, yeah. and and i think this record too you know we've talked about his wide range of music tastes i think this record did the best job of blending them all together because on his previous records it would be more like here's one song that sounds completely different from the one before and that's cool but like this really seems like his crowning achievement artistically. and the two records before this both had like long orchestral suites that took up all of side two did those have not aged well uh, i mean they really sound like they really sound nothing but excessive. And this record was finally, Gino, it's all about three and a half minute songs, and you're just going to come in, you're going to sing your ass off, and it's going to be big. And there's, there's stuff on there, Appaloosa, that whole, the, the free horse as metaphor for great personal freedom. Eh, I don't know. Uh, River Must Flow is absolutely great. I Just Want to Stop is absolutely great. Wheels of Life isn't bad, but the other ballad on the record is so good that it's like, yeah, okay, you know, but not really. And it's like if you're putting together a Spotify playlist of Gino Vanelli, it's not like you're going to reach for any one album and go, I'll just listen to this the way you would do it with like Pet Sounds or the way you would do it with Intervisions or whatever. But the best stuff is just absolutely, yeah, it's it. It's definitely like the guy's driving around in a really big 4x4 with something that says, go big or go home, laser etched into the back bumper, which is made out of gold. Everything everything about this in the moments that succeed is really big and, you know, Tom Jones, Scott Walker big. I just don't think that... <laughs> I, I don't think that the bigness of the the sort of pseudo fusion era that we're in has reached the type people aren't as comfortable with it as they are with it's not unusual mm -hmm. well speaking of the bigness of these recordings we should probably run through the list of players behind it real quick we got the aforementioned joe vanelli on electric pianos and synthesizer on drums we got mark craney who played with a lot of people uh, especially a lot of records with jean-luc ponty 
Yeah. Carlos Rios, as we mentioned on guitar. Uh, this was, I believe, the first record that he was on. And then he went on to work with a ton of people, Herb Alpert, Four Tops, Cyrita, and many other big names. You got Leon Gare on synth bass. Well, wait a minute. You know who Cyrita's ex-husband was by that point? Uh, Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder, who produced those first two Cerita records. That exactly, yeah. The, the, the Vanelli the brothers were definitely into. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And then uh, we got the aforementioned Jimmy Haslip on electric bass, who has played with a ton of people, did a bunch of records with Bobby Caldwell, Yellow Jackets, and then he was the bass player on Anita Baker's Rapture. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow, that's a record I really love, too. That's that's a good one. And then we got a name that we have mentioned many times on the show. One of the most featured session players, I would say, Ernie Watts on tenor saxophone. Yeah, that, that strikes me as, that solo strikes me as, Ernie, give us a Dave Sanborn solo. Because <laughs> that's, no, because Sanborn and Brecker were in New York. That was the sound. Yeah, they it's were James they were Taylor and Don't Let Me Be Lonely Tonight, and you know, his Brecker and all that. And Ernie Watts was like the they didn't get Tom Scott, they didn't get you know, a lot of other guys who you might have gotten. They got Ernie Watts, they they who really won for sure. <laughs> oh man, and you know, he made a bunch of great records with Charlie Hayden as well. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So, Peter, was, this is your this is your test, Peter. How many episodes can you name that Ernie Watts has played on that we've covered? <laughs> We actually name the records, uh, yeah, or the artist, but yeah, there's there's six records we've talked about previously that Ernie Watts was on. I'm not going to be able to name them. I, I I do know he was on Frank Zappa's The Grand Wazoo. True, a record but that we, we have not covered. We, we can't keep yeah, We can't. <laughs> yeah, you don't that find one. that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't recall. I, okay, the list, the previous records that he's been on that we covered, uh, the Bobby Bryant episode. The Carol King episode, Neil Diamond, Denise Williams, Cheryl Lynn, and Quincy Jones. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like his resume. Yep, so this is number seven entry for Ernie Watts on the podcast. And then the rest of the players on this record, we have Manolo Badrina on percussion, who has played with a ton of artists. He initially made a name for himself working with Weather Report, who we mentioned. Yep. Um, he was on the Heavy Weather album, and then he also, right around that same time, did some records with George Duke and Joni Mitchell, and then he could pretty much do whatever he wanted after that. <laughs> well, George, he was with Joni Mitchell. He must have replaced Don Elias. Could have been. Another huge name on this record, Victor Feldman is playing Vibes. Well, who We previously mentioned he's on the Kenny Rankin album that we covered, and then he also worked extensively with Steely Dan, among many, many others. Yeah, he takes that piano solo on Black Cow. Mm -hmm. And then finally, on background vocals, we have Stephanie Spruill, Julia Tillman Waters, Maxine Willard Waters, and Ross Vanelli. Ah, the other brother. And Maxine Waters is uh, is on a ton of stuff. I just did a session with Claudia Lanier, and we were talking she was talking about just certain singers who she said like that person was a ninja anything she could sing any and maxine waters was one of the ones she named and doris nice. troy too actually mm-hmm. yeah the waters family are uh, famous for yeah. being some some of the most recorded background singers I, and some of the most talented i think we talked about them on the hamilton joe frank and reynolds episode yes yeah yep, you, they yes worked on you would have well I, I suppose it's either time to talk about our recommended albums or for Jeremy to explain what Geno time is. 
Well, I think it's Geno time. Is it Geno time okay. finally? It yeah. might be Geno time. All right. This only so tangentially has to do with Gino Vanelli, but the Boston Celtics American basketball team in the mid nineties, the guy who like works the jumbotron and like puts videos up for like the crowd to look at. He was looking for stuff to put up there, was in a bar and they were playing old American bandstand like reruns. And he saw You Should Be Dancing by the Bee Gees. And there's this guy dancing all crazy. And the guy had a Gino Vanelli shirt on. So he got that clip. They play it at Celtics games when in the fourth quarter, if they're like dominating the game, they play the Gino clip. People yell Gino and they start dancing all crazy. <laughs> Even though the guy dancing is not named Gino, the song is not Gino Vanelli. <laughs> the guy, it, it just really stands out because this guy dances the craziest out of everyone. And everyone else is wearing like plain colored clothes with nothing written on them. And only he has, you know, something on his shirt. So. This sounds like the Gino Vanelli variant of being Rickrolled somehow. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Incidentally, I just, I gotta say something here. You know, I hated Rick Astley as much as anybody. Never gonna give you up. I was just like, oh, God, this is, he's still married to that woman. So, props to Rick Astley. He didn't ever <laughs> give her up. He never just gave like her he up. Promised. Never let her down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Good on him. All right, so we're already over time here, so let's real quick mention a couple recommended similar albums and then play you that final track. The three I have selected, first up, self-titled by the group Player from 1977, kind of a one-hit wonder group. You know, they did the song Baby Come Back. Baby Come Back. Yeah, wasn't that, didn't one of their members go on to be on a soap opera? (laughs) Entirely possible, but I I will say that whole record is really, really good and reminds me a lot of this weird little brand of late 70s music that we're talking about. Another one that I thought was a pretty obvious comparison is Boz Skagg's Silk Degrees from 1976. And then a record we have talked about before that's also from 1978 and fits right alongside the Doobie Brothers, Minute by Minute. Yeah, uh, any anything with Michael McDonald during this period. Yeah, absolutely. I would also throw in here um, "Reminiscing" by the Little River Band. Okay, cool. Which has a a, a very similar pseudo jazz characteristic, and um, the aforementioned Sergio Mendes in Brazil '77 album on Electra, the one where they're all wearing the soccer uniforms, and is largely produced by Stevie Wonder. Perfect. And then uh, honorable mention for the self-titled Bobby Caldwell record that used to be a dollar bin record and is definitely not anymore. But (laughs) same year, similar vibe. Check it out. What a great record, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's just about it, unless anybody has any final thoughts. Well, Skip, just one final thought. Um, I am so honored to be here. I am such a... Discovered this podcast during the pandemic and is a Philadelphian... You know, I, I really listen 
ready to pounce on anything anybody gets wrong about Philadelphia International. <laughs> and, and you guys did it up just great. We didn't uh, get pounced know. on. Perfect. <laughs> no, glad except we could do them justice. <laughs> except, repeat after me, Wansell. Dexter uh, Wansell. Thank you. <laughs> but I'll you read a lot, so, you know. <laughs> it, it's so hard, yeah. I think there'll be times I'm like trying to find interviews and it'll just like have a title screen that say who the artist is and then they never say his name out loud. It's like, man, I need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We struggled to find the pronunciation of David Page and Marty Page. Yeah, Marty Page. You know who, uh, I mean, we. I, I could write a small book about him. And uh, and his son is, of course, the guy playing drums on Lowdown. Oh, oh perfect. Yeah. Do you want to talk about any upcoming projects or where people can find you online? Okay, online, go to Sputnik Monroe Organ Combo, because that's my, my new organ trio, named after this great wrestler and unlikely civil rights leader named Sputnik Monroe. Look him up. He's really a... Sam Phillips of Sun Records loved this guy. And if you look at who else Sam Phillips loved, Helen Wolf, Charlie Rich, Elvis Presley, you, you might want to check this guy out because he did for he did for wrestling what Sam Phillips did for, for music. And um, so Sputnik Monroe Organ Combo on Instagram. And uh, I guess the next thing I have coming out, there's the Orchestra Renee single, O-R-Q-E-S-T-R-A, uh, on the... The Sinito on the Discos Hermanos label. So look up Sinitos del Valle. Find somebody who speaks Spanish on on Instagram and you can get the single through them. And I am producing the new Joe Batan record right now, and that includes um Claudia Lanier is on that, Big Sandy is on it, a lot of really a lot of great people, but it's not like the all-star record. It's just I got the best people I could because Joe Batan he's he's the greatest. Is that, so you've been commuting between L.A. and Philly to record that? I just went to Philly to do the vocals the one time because Joe didn't want to take a plane to California. He had some dates in England, and he was really um, he was a little bit paranoid about getting sick before he got to England. And then he got sick in England, so that was not ill-founded. But I'll be in Philadelphia on May 17th, uh, Sunday, May 17th. I'll be the MC, and I have two pieces that will be played by the East Coast Mandolin Orchestra. So, I'm like the Larry Darrell and Darrell of music. I will do anything for a dollar. But things have gotten better, you know, because now a lot of these orchestrating gigs have gotten me to where I'm being paid in the high two figures. So it's been a big time for me. <laughs> well, we're, we're glad that you can make a, a few dollars so you can buy some dollar records and come on the podcast and talk with us about them. Thank you yeah. so much for having me because I, I am really such a fan and I'm, you know, just like, whoa, man, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, honored with all, we're honored that with all you've done, you're thrilled to be here. <laughs> yeah. Very uh, true. <laughs> yeah. You might man, undersell you yourself, Skip, but you put out a ton of great music. You wrote a book. You're wikipedia page is almost as big as gino vanelli's <laughs> <laughs> and if you look at the picture of gino and i side by side i'm actually about five inches taller than gino vanelli and he's taller he, than gino even with the hair what about if his hair's going i'm blast? talking counting the hair <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, like, I don't think you're going to tamp down that mane with a yarmulke. That is some very formidable hair. And I got to say, you know, I met Ross. Ross is pretty nice. But I said, like, Gino, like, I saw you in 1979 in Philadelphia. And he looked at me and went, the time we played the Spectrum? It's like, <laughs> you know, wow. he was just really nice. I have the autographed picture up on my wall next to my autographed picture of Phil Spector. <laughs> That's my get. That's my go big or go home wall. But um, <laughs> I just really, I just really hope people go out and when they see a Gino Vanelli record on A and M in the dollar bin, uh, they pick it up because there's a lot of great music there. And if you don't know what to expect and you just put it on, you're gonna go like, whoa! And you're gonna find a lot there, and you will wind up thinking about it afterwards because it really reflects a lot about the 1970s in a way that might not be comfortable, <laughs> but musically is very, very rewarding. Perfect. Well, on that note, let's go out with the closing song from this album, People I Belong To, side B, track four. And I have been your host, Sean Hartman. Thanks for listening. I have been your co-host, Peter Cook. I'm co-host, Jeremy Gino Time Ruggles. And I am queen for a day, Skip Heller. Give up all his dreams to take on mine.